Thanks for listening to Looking Forward Our Way. We'd like to ask a favor from you. Would you give us some feedback on our podcast? We've made it really easy to do so. Click on the link in our episode show notes. That link will take you to our podcast Google My Business page. Now, you may have to sign into your Google account. From there, we'd appreciate your feedback on the podcast overall, feedback on a specific episode, or a suggestion on what you would like to see us cover in a future episode. All your feedback is really appreciated. Your comments only help us create episodes that will keep us all looking forward our way. We are looking forward our way. We are live in Dayton, Ohio, the first annual WordBridge Now Summer Celebration for Educators. The owner of WordBridge Now is gracious enough to invite you and me, Carol, to yes. to do some podcasts here. Amazing, isn't it? I know. We surely sorry. I know. <laughs> I have a feeling probably so, but exactly, but it, probably not because she's my wife. So yes, I think we'll there be you okay. Go. So, <laughs> well, you're okay. I don't know about me, but you're okay. <laughs> and we do have her on mic, Doctor Angela Weimer Johnson. Hello. Yes. How did first day go? It went well. Yes, Good. we had some amazing local authors, um, Morgan, who's with us today, um, Kendra Scott, doTERRA, Central cool. Oils, lots of wonderful self-care, yeah. um, lots of professional organizations, door prizes. Nice. We are ready to You look very in. tired, though. <laughs> Thanks, husband. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I could see it in her eyes going... Yeah, it's been good, though, but I'm tired. <laughs> well, it's a good tired. Yeah, exactly. Very That's what I mean by that. So talk a little bit about the concept for Summer Celebration. Summer Celebration came about largely due to COVID. Uh, after being online, which my business, where Bridge Now is, we do live online author talks, and it's been great. But everybody just wanted to get together and and see one another. And after a stressful year for educators, it was time to take some time for self-care and just enjoyment. So I thought about having a summer retreat. I thought about having a summer conference. And I thought, you know what? Forget that. We're doing a summer celebration. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our, our first day. Friday is nothing but exhibits and enjoyment a little bit of poetry reading and then tomorrow we will jump in with our our keynote from dr lynette jones we'll learn about the social justice legacy of angela davis we will hear about classroom resources and learning outside of the classroom we will have bridget flaherty from lore storytelling doing some interactive storytelling with us tomorrow and then we will wrap up with um, an ohio author mindy mcginnis who is a nationally known author winner of the edgar award which is best mystery and as we're talking here i'm thinking hmm authors i need to have my former students on as guests <laughs> to wordbridge now so That'd be great. Remind cool. me, Morgan. You know, well, teachers good. love to talk. We just yes. talk all day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, good, good. Yeah, looking forward to tomorrow. That should be. I think it's a nice mixture of taking it easy one day, but the next kind of getting down to a little bit of business. Yes, yeah, absolutely. At least, at least something to enjoy and think about over the summer and 
and then get ramped up for next school season, put it that way. So exactly. Exactly. But we do have a special guest uh, with us as as we've been doing with these podcasts. My name is Morgan Perryman. I'm the YA fantasy author of the book Natural Born. I also own Literary Ladies LTD. It's a small publishing and editing services company that I started with the big goal of helping women across all cultures, backgrounds, socioeconomic, socioeconomic backgrounds tell their story. So one of our big goals for um, hopefully this year, but maybe having to push it back to next year, is putting together an anthology for women. Um, I have a bunch of anthologies that we're working on, but right now we're focusing on one that's called One in Four, which helps women um, who have suffered a pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. share their story. So it's very similar to kind of the Chicken Soup books where Mm -hmm. women share their stories. Don't sue me for saying that. Um, But kind of that goal and then the proceeds from that, a portion of the proceeds from that will go to supporting women and charities um, who help women after they've experienced pregnancy loss. Okay. So, But you have a background as a teacher, though. I do, yeah. I taught 7th and 8th grade um, English language arts. I graduated with my master's in education in 2017 and my undergraduate is in English ILA. I always tell my clients I have specialty in YA it's my heart yes and especially YA fantasy but all YA so I like helping female writers tell their story whether it's fiction nonfiction, whatever your story is I think that everyone has something to say so we want to hear it mm-hmm. so you left the education field to do this now I did okay. I left yeah. the education field after a very intense two years mm. it was different than I expected mm. Um, I had a lot of personal things going on. My first semester teaching my house burned down, literally like a month in. And um, I taught at a small charter school. And um, it was, I loved my students. They were just really great. Um, I had a lot of issues just in a lot of different ways. And it was not what I expected, I think. And it was very personal for me to decide not to go back to teaching and I kind of intended to last year, and I did a lot of interviews, and then COVID happened, so I feel like the hiring process kind of got messed up. Nobody wanted to hire because nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And um, so that kind of one year taking a break became two years, and then I really enjoy talking to other authors. I did a online tutoring program, kind of unofficial at Facebook when you have a group of a certain size you can offer mentoring services so I joined the supporting beginner writers and they asked me to mentor because of my background in teaching and I did that for almost two years now nice. and um, so I've done a lot of that I've met a lot of really amazing people a lot of really amazing authors and writers and so it's been really a joy to get to meet adults and I've met some you know younger people and things like that I just like people mm-hmm. I think that's the thing about teaching I always like people and now I talk to everybody I was a two at Sinclair for the two years that I was there mm-hmm. and I had students Great. who were 15 and 60s and 70s I mean I met the most incredible people that's my favorite part about mm. you know you know I think writing I Morgan we talk a lot about encore careers on our on our program and normally encore careers happen to somebody after they've done their first 20 30 years in a job yeah. and gone to something else but what you did was really an encore career but what I loved about it is you took those skills and experiences and transferred them into something new. And that is really what people need to know how to do. So it, when you're talking about your mentoring, there are a lot of older individuals who are job searching, but they don't know what they want to do. They've got these great, wonderful skills, and they can't identify them, so they don't know 
where to move them to in terms of another job. So put that on your list of things to do <laughs> while you're mentoring people that you can also help them in, an, in another career. Yeah, so. and being a, being a self-published author, I've learned so many things that I had no idea I was going to have to learn. Mm-hmm, right. And um, I think one of the things uh, most, I know one of the things most self-published authors struggle with is like marketing. And that is not, I am not a salesman, but my dad is. And so, you know, he gave me all these books. I lear- got books by... Um, never remember his name is but patterson which is big in the dayton area was a very successful businessman for and so i read his book on sales and trying to get those get those clients and um i've never owned my own business before so it's a it's a struggle watch mm-hmm. a lot of shark tank <laughs> there you go but, um, uh, so that's been a struggle and i've been really fortunate to have a really supportive spouse my husband drives a truck for a living and he struggled when we were first married about trying to figure out what he wanted to do for his life and when I was teaching, I always asked my students, I never asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because, like, I want to be an astronaut. But it's not about what do you want to be, because who you are changes as you get older. Mm-hmm. But right. it's, what, can I, what do I want to get paid to do for the rest of my life? And I became an English teacher because I love reading. But then there was so much more to teaching that I think I wasn't anticipating and that emotionally I'm not the person for there was a lot I love my students and I love connecting the community I love Dayton I've lived in Dayton my whole life and I volunteered all around Dayton I love the community but there's so much emotional things that come with teaching I had a student try to commit suicide in a classroom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was a whole thing and that was really that was it was it was like a breaking point for me Mm -hmm. I it's not something I was prepared for I'm not a social worker there's a reason I didn't do that because I'm not the person who's emotional like prepared for that but as a writer I get to create those scenes and then talk about the impact of them and help people through them Mm -hmm. and do things like that so I've been really fortunate to have a spouse who also like changed careers when he was 28 he was like I want to be a truck driver he's amazing at math and he loves driving and it is his passion and he's great with it and he um, owned his own business for a while and then we weren't prepared for the upfront costs so now he works with a small company and he loves it and so when I came to him and I was like listen I don't know if I can go back to teaching he was really supportive and we were thankfully financially able to do that but I know that's not everyone's story so it's hard mm-hmm. having hundred thousand dollars in school loans <laughs> is also a struggle I'm not gonna lie but you know it's yes. now I'm doing what I love and I get to read books every day I always you know what do you what can you get paid to do for the rest of your life I could definitely get paid to read books for the rest of my life oh absolutely <laughs> and my yeah. favorite part about being an editor is getting to hype up new authors I have an author author whose name is Marcy Rowe and her book comes out July 1st and as indie authors, you especially get the imposter syndrome. You get the, am I good enough? And there's kind of a stigma that comes with being an indie author and not being traditionally published. There's a lot of people who just won't read indie authors. But you and I were talking about earlier the the level that has come in the last mm-hmm. couple of years you, to be competitive. You know, there's self-publishing and there's being it's a business you have to know everything well, and if somebody's mm-hmm. not going to buy it because you haven't done a very good job with the book exactly. then it's not going to do any good to self-publish because nobody's going to buy it yeah and so like me as an editor my favorite part about my job is one i get to read the new books when they come out that's pretty awesome mm-hmm. like my favorite genres i also get to edit them i get to talk to authors but i get to be like their hype man i get to fangirl i i'm i get to fangirl all the time i'm like listen you gotta read this book it's so good you know and i right? I told my newest client, uh, her name is Marcy Rowe, 
And I said, you're the next Sarah J. Mass. You got to treat yourself like you are. You're the next big thing. Because if you don't believe you're the next big thing, then you won't be. But you, if you believe that you are, then you're do anything to get there. And I think that that's my best part about owning this business is getting to do that. Yes. So how do you select the authors you're going to work with? They select me. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I, I am very small. So I work in... I do a lot of Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. I join like the romance groups, the fantasy groups, mm-hmm. and you know I see them talk about their book, and I try to sell myself to them. It's very difficult um, because there's a lot of competition. There's a mm-hmm. lot of editors out there. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, and now there's even more. But you know, I tell them where my background comes from. I'm in teaching, you know, and I try to just be passionate about it. I think um, sharing my clients and sharing constantly, like being their cheerleader I think helps a lot so I've had some people who I'm not their cup of tea but it is what it is you know what I mean so I've had some other clients that I think that we work really well together and that's all I want to do is I want to do whatever it takes to make you happy and to make you proud because I know how important it is for you to be proud of your work and and it's not easy it's not easy there's definitely some like I think um as a person I have a lot of the other thing I struggle with the teaching is I have very severe anxiety, maybe because of teaching, but also just in general. So the fact that the book has to be perfect when I get them to them grammatically and all that, that's very stressful for me. But at the other time, I try to be as prepared for it as possible. So I try, I always tell my clients, I will work until you're happy. But if you're not happy, you have to communicate that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've had clients who... I think technical things happened and maybe they're not working from the same file as I am. You know, it's a, it's a learning curve. Sometimes things happen. And um, I have had clients who, who are upset because they found a spelling error. And I'm like, okay, well, let's work. We'll look it over again. We'll fix it. I want to do whatever it is until you're satisfied. But it has to be a partnership, too. And that's kind of how I approach editing is, like, it has to be a partnership. If you're not happy, you have to tell me because... Yeah. I want you to be happy, and I care. And my my husband says I care too much, but it is what it is. And I, you know, you invest a lot of money into editing and into your book, time, blood, sweat, tears. And I've been there. I've done that myself. I have my own book. I get how much work it takes. Mm-hmm. So if you're not happy after I'm done, then that's a problem for me because I want that. So I don't know. It's a it's a battle. I, I have kind of a <clears throat> off-the-wall question for both of you as English teachers. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, I f- have found myself through COVID reading a little more than I – because I normally read a lot, but reading a little bit more since I had more time, but reading really different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I read uh, Doris Kern- Kearns Goodwin on her book on leadership. Okay. Never would have – I mean, I love listening to her, but I probably would not have picked that book up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started Barack Obama's ugh, long, long book, and what's it's very intense, hard to get started. You can hear his voice in your head, <laughs> as, you know, as you're reading it. But I, I get it's just like I'm because normally I'm writing, I'm reading fiction, murder mysteries, that kind of thing. So it's really kind of um, throwaway stuff. Have you seen this with other people? Has COVID changed what people are reading and how they're reading or how much they're reading? Have you, like I said, this may not be an answerable question. For me as a professor, 
and especially Morgan can speak to this too. As English majors, you are pretty much reading for the syllabus. So right. and everything, um, whatever yes. is in that class. But I feel like that's my favorite part of being an English right, major. Right, right. So in terms of just the general public, and Morgan, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more. I tend to really only know what my husband is reading, what my family, what my, what my students are reading. Well, is, no, he's reading podcast stuff, so, yes. yes. Actually, no, it's mostly mystery. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you know, right. I'll go to the classic stuff. I think Sherlock Holmes see. revisit Sherlock there Holmes. Oh, kind of stuff, yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I'm, I'm reading a book called... Atomic Habit Habits oh. by James Clear, who's actually from Columbus. It's really it's like what what exactly are habits? How do we form them? How do we change them? Sure, that's a great. It, it's really interesting, yeah. but again, it's not something I would ever have picked up. It's a great As title. Somebody who spends a lot of time on social media because I'm promoting my books and my editing business. I'm in an, an obscene amount of Facebook groups. <laughs> I would say that, yeah, I think that we're going to see a huge push of different types of readers, but of just the amount of different things available, because I think that so many self-publishing people, just authors are coming now out of COVID and are, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a year to write my book, so I did. I was just thinking the same thing. I had a year to write a book. So So I did, yes. And like for me as an editor, hopefully in the long run, that'll benefit me because there'll be more people getting into it and things like that. And I think that we're going to see a big push in a lot of different things. And that's kind of what I love about indie authors, though, is I think that Amazon has made it remarkably easy to publish a book now Mm -hmm. and like that was such an elitist thing when you know what i mean for such a long time it was old white men writing books and it was such but now (laughs) it's i mean it you know but now we have all these voices Mm -hmm. and you know that was my goal as a company um with especially with these anthologies um i'm creating this anthology for women who have experienced pregnancy loss and that was my goal when I set out this, was to get women from all different socioeconomic statuses, cultures, religions, put together so that we can see our similarities, so that we don't feel alone. And um, kind of stems from my grandmother um, feeling very isolated after she lost a set of twins. Mm. And then shortly afterwards, my grandfather passed away. Mm. And at that time, she could not have her name on the checking account. Mm. So when he died, they had nothing. They had oh, wow. no, she had no access to their money, and she, um, her, and I talked about this um, when I did my multi-genre project. I was just going to say yes. I remember your project. Yes. I was going to mention that's that. literally where this came from, right? From Wright State. Um, uh-huh. I I just felt like her story is unique, but also is similar to so many women and what they've gone through. So one of my goals for this anthology was to get women to talk about these stories that we don't talk about, but that we all. Well, not we all, but a large percentage, 25% of us, mm. experience. Mm. And so I just think that, like, being able to talk about that, and so that's kind of where now I can do that because Amazon has made it so easy for me to collect these and for me to get my get the books out there so quickly. And so that's kind of the benefits, I think, of the self-publishing world mm-hmm. is that we're seeing all these voices that maybe the traditional publishers weren't interested in, but there is a market for, and more importantly, just need to be told. Right. Okay. So I think that's one of the my biggest things, one of the reasons that I decided to self-publish rather than search for the traditional publishing route is, one, I'm a control freak. <laughs> but also that, like, by starting this company and by doing that, 
I can tell these stories and I can help other women tell these stories mm-hmm. that need to be told. Hmm. So leaning toward that, knowing there could be a big influx of authors and such, I, I twofold question. First, a couple things came to mind, and then when you said that, it really solidified that. I do want to ask this. So advice to new authors who want to work with, quote-unquote, you, editors. What's, what's advice you would give them before they start to search people out like you? Is there a preparation that they need to go through? I mean, they've written the book. You know, You're done with the first yeah, draft. right. Like, which is the hardest part, right? Getting your whatever minimum word count or getting your story mm-hmm. written, like 70,000 words was my goal. It ended up being like 90, but, you know, whatever. Getting that first draft done. Once you've done that... Some people prefer to do the editors and then the beta readers or an alpha reader who's the very first person you give the book to. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking to a potential client the other day. Her book is religious-based. It's a faith-based book. And I said, well, maybe your alpha reader should be a pastor or a religious figure, someone who can talk, like, look into that on that level. So I would say get your alpha reader, somebody who can be objective. Maybe it's a friend who can be objective. Maybe it's a person in a Facebook group that you trust. I have a lot of people that I've connected with through that. And then you have your beta readers who are people who are familiar with the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, my client right now, she's getting a lot of beta readers who are writers. And I think that that has value. I think that getting one or two people to look at it who are used to writers in your genre has value. But I also think just like, gen- it sounds bad, but generic readers, people who j- just going to pick up your book mm-hmm. who love the genre because I think that you get conflicting feedback. Like, as an editor, one of my clients, she said, one of her AR, her beta readers said the beginning of her book was an info dump. I said, your character is standing on the edge of a cliff ready to jump. How can that not be action-packed? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, that seems action-packed to me. But, you know, if you're not familiar with the genre, I think it depends on, it depends on the reader. It depends on the genre. So I would say, get your draft done. That's the hardest part. Get your draft done. Take a step back. Give yourself a week. Then seek out some beta readers who are readers in your genre. Yes, maybe one or two writers to give you some actual critiques, but also general readers to tell you how your pacing is. Mm -hmm. Um, The easiest way I'd say to get feedback, one of the things that I suggest that I learned is use the tools that are already there for you. Don't make your life harder than it needs to be. Use Google Forms. I have a Google Forms that I give out to my beta readers that is like a yes or no. And let Google gather the data for you. We are so blessed with technology sometimes. So I have like a, do you like this chapter? Mm -hmm. I have one client who likes to give uh, questions out after each chapter that are relevant to that chapter. So that, you know, did you like this? Did you not like that? And then once you've had a round of beta readers and you've looked at it and you've yourself edited it with a grammar program, literally just run it through Grammarly. Like at the very least, before you send it to your editor, run it through Grammarly. So make your editor's life a little bit better. I mean, I know you're paying me, but come on. Like run it through <laughs> oh. Grammarly. You'd be surprised. Yeah. And um, then, then send it to your editor. And do send it to your editor. I have an English degree. And I edited my own book and still found errors and ended up sending it to a family friend who's an editor. Like do it it's worth it you, and you, you always need more than one set of eyes yes wow. and also don't cuss out your editor if you find <laughs> oh my gosh your book is your book is a hundred thousand words if you find a misplaced comma it's okay calm down like it's gonna be okay i, I, I don't think i've ever thrown away a book because of a misplaced comma <laughs> and there's this or stop reading it i don't think i ever have if well you, <laughs> you know though i, I people will ki- they'll catch it though i know i know red yeah. i know oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah yes i Gosh. you know i'm i'm doing that in the newspaper a lot because there are a lot of typos well, in the newspaper yeah but yeah. I, I i was some um, it's interesting because again i'm not 
an English major. My degree in sociology, the only editing I had to do was my dissertation, and that was pretty pitiful. That's but um, <laughs> it were it was a book I published. It is, uh, so, yes. but um, I read a book, and the author's very well known, and um, it, it was and it was a religious book, so she's well known in that genre. But um, she is a powerful writer, and I kept thinking she doesn't have enough commas, you know, because I'm reading it and, and the sentences were long and I'm like, mm. she needs to put some commas. And then I reread it in my head with the comma in my head, sure. completely changed the sentence. Wow. Yeah, it does. And, and Punctuation matters. It does. <laughs> and, it does. But, and I'm, it changes the tone. It changes everything. It does. It's a, it was amazing. Yeah. I I have to say that little tiny yeah. book I read it yeah. three or four times. But, yeah. So you put the commas in there in the book? No, oh, I didn't. Know, uh, you did. Just, no. And then she so returned it head. to the library. In your head. I was in, oh, no, I bought the book. Okay. <laughs> just tease it. Okay. <laughs> so the second part of my question then is a, so what advice would you give to new authors in regards to the mindset to the marketing piece you were talking about what the book's done you edit it it's ready it's in their hands what do they need to be prepared for negative reviews okay mm-hmm. i think and, and the amazon's not going to sell it for them yes i think mm-hmm. i think it's so hard because it's your baby right and i think you have to come at it and say if it needs to make changes i will make changes two days before my book went out i decided to add take out a chunk of it and add it as the prologue because some Uh people feel like they want to skip the prologue and some people don't. Mm. And so I was like, okay, if I make this a prologue and somebody skips it, then it's okay and you still get the story. But some people who want Uh to read it, then they will. Because my ARC, my advanced review copy readers, they kept saying, well, it's too slow at the beginning, it's too slow. But I felt like it was important. And also fantasy readers expect some world building at the beginning. Even Mm -hmm. with urban fantasy, there's got to be some background. So I was like, okay, I'll make it a prologue and yes, if they skip it, then they're going to get it further into the book, so it'll be okay. But also the people who want to read it will read it. And so I think that you just have to be prepared that you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. My mm-hmm. thing that I, I literally just talked to one of my editing clients off the ledge today, she's going to quit. I hate it. I'm going to quit. I'm not publishing it. Is you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. You're not going to be everybody's favorite author. But one day, one day, you're going to be somebody's fam- favorite author. Mm-hmm. And if you're proud of what you created then that's the thing that's important. Yes, you should listen to critical feedback. Yes, you should, you know, if you get 15 reviews that say you have this, this, and this, you should listen to that. But at the same time, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. You know, there's these huge names like Sarah J. Mass, and uh, she had my, one of the, this, one of her feedback was she cries too many times in the book. Like, okay, well, there are several emotional scenes. That's how she felt. She's one reader who felt like the girl cried too many times. But then you have these big-name authors who do the same thing. And nobody, you know what I mean? Like, And, like, they get that feedback, too. But mm-hmm. that doesn't stop them from being hugely yeah. influential. You know, I am a huge Sarah J. Mass fan. I've read all the books. I'm, it's a cult, and I'm part <laughs> of it, and I'm okay with it. And um, one of the things that I see about her is she repeats certain phrases in her books, but that's because that's who she is as a writer. She repeats the phrases like, like an asp, and her readers will call her, will say it, and it's it's almost like a thing. Like they'll underline it, post a picture of it on Facebook. Right. Oh, I found but it. you know what? She's still using those phrases mm-hmm. in every single book. Yeah. Who cares? It's still a fantastic book. You're always going to have somebody who has something to say, mm-hmm. but at the same time, are you proud of your characters? Are you proud of your story? You know, I'm proud of my story. There's a lot of people who I think 
would I try to come at my story as respectful. I have taken a lot of cultural classes as a teacher and how to be respectful to other cultures. And I came from my book, I, have, I read a lot of retellings of like Greek mythology. Hades and Persephone is my favorite retelling books. It's just my, I have a tattoo with the, with the book. Uh. And, um, but I had never read a story with any indigenous people's mythology ever ever as an English major as an English teacher I've never read a story that had indigenous people's religious or mythology or anything and so I was like I want that to be part of my book whether it's just using their names or actually incorporating into the book I want that to be part of it and I know that that's kind of like a questionable thing because I'm not an indigenous person so I can't tell their stories to the extent that somebody who is indigenous was so I opted to just use their names Iktomi is the antagonist in my story and Iktomi is also the trickster god in indigenous lore so like things like that but then I also put um, in the back of my book it was suggested to me and I think is a great idea um, to list off indigenous authors if you want to learn more Mm -hmm. about this culture here Mm -hmm. are 10 indigenous authors here's a link to a goodreads page with 50 authors in it that you can learn more about this nice so i try to treat my book as like an introduction to pique your curiosity not as a means of information does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that you know and that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea there's going to be somebody who's mad at me for even having the audacity to include names but I, I was okay reading it. a blog of one of the major authors in, in the country, and, and um, people were complaining about her one of her recent books. And she basically said, you know, I, I write the book that I want to write. I hope you like it, and I'm sorry if you don't. End of story. Yes. It's like, you know, she's not going to go in and start changing things or marry off the, the heroine and the hero and just... Sure. It's it's her book. This is the story she had to tell. Yeah. Angie, did you meet Rainbow Well at Uptel a couple years ago? I think it was the year that we all presented. I do not remember, frankly. She was a she was definitely <laughs> so a I do at know Octella. her. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I don't and know her. A couple months ago, yes. Book Twitter came for her. Came oh. came for her because there was one mm-hmm. passage. There may be other examples, but the one that I read. It was a passage about her referring to an Asian American character as a beautiful China doll with a lowercase c, as in like China the fabric. Mm-hmm. And the book Twitter mm-hmm. came for her. Mm-hmm. And she, I don't even think, she, I don't know if she addressed it. I never saw her address it. But it was just so interesting to me because mm-hmm. she also has been heralded as this author who wrote LGBTQ books mm-hmm. and has been very influential mm-hmm. in that market. And it's just so interesting to me that you know like I said you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and it's so difficult for me it's scary it's scary as an author because I want everybody to feel loved and respected and so that's where I I always try to get my clients to come through I always I know I have that as a clause in my contract I don't work with authors who have books that are explicitly racist or portray people in a and I've only once had to instigate that or had to actually acknowledge that. And it was it was a very sure. intense situation, yeah. but it was pretty explicit. So it was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say, and not to mention all of the implicit yeah. <laughs> you know, issues right. that, that tend to come out. Um, hmm. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit um, and let you know that um, a plug for Catherine A. Beatty, B-A-T-Y. 
Her website is acornmush.com, and she is an indigenous woman. She um, has worked as a librarian. She's out of Texas right now, but she was one of the the WordBridge Now educational speakers one month. I, um, I got to sit in on one of her presentations from the Allen Conference, which is a young adult literature conference. The it's an acronym with an initialism. It is the Assembly on Literature for Adolescents of NCTE. When NCTE is the National Council of Teachers <laughs> of English, but it's it's a nice yeah acronym. You know, Allen, um, and she had given a great session, and and I agree, and I man, I totally hear you on that, Morgan. Um, I do have books on my way lit syllabus now that are written by um, Native Americans and they're I think people were writing but as you said they weren't getting picked up by yeah, right? major publishers. Oh it'd be so hard. And, oh my gosh. And I think it's and back that's the best part about you know, indie right. authors coming out now is that we have so right. many chances right. for these voices to come out that we didn't have before. And I think that it's just we're going to see so much growth in those voices now that we didn't see before. And we're going to see so much amazing things come through. I mean, I spent a summer reading, uh, you have uh, Concrete Rose on your table. Yes. And I spent an entire summer, comes. my first year teaching, I read all these books by black authors who wrote about police violence. Yeah. And yeah. that, it, it amazes me that that's not have hasn't been a trend until the last right. five years but how long has it really been going on right, mm-hmm. right. and so mm-hmm. i think so, you know i spent i read oh dear martin and yes. read the hate you give and mm-hmm. all american boys and, Reynolds and being able to Kylie. read those mm-hmm. now and it's so great that you're incorporating more voices yeah. we're getting so many yeah. more voices into our um into our curriculum and yeah. Yeah, being definitely. able to read those i will say though um back when I taught middle and high school, our American literature anthology, which I had selected. (laughs) Um, I think this was probably across the board for anthologies and probably, unfortunately, I would bet is still often the case. Um, I did supplement with native myth, with native mythology. Um, See, I would take the class. so, So So that was, you know, part of something that I had to supplement, um, in my American Lit class when I taught high school kids, um, which is why I always have my students do a literature textbook critique because you need to know that the textbook isn't the be-all, end-all, that mm-hmm. this is a this is a cultural product. And, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Catherine A. Beatty, acornmesh.com, tons of references. And awesome. when she was talking, she mentioned, you know, that it even goes deeper than what I would have thought and and that is that she said she is a an enrolled member of the big sandy rancheria nation and she said you know that's who I am I I would not ever presume to write a book from um, a Hopewell or a Miami perspective that it's no (laughs) you don't you don't do that let alone right let alone that you know own voices this is kind of the way the Wyatt world is is talking about it now you know um hashtag own voices but but you're right and i really appreciate 
that you are pulling in so many different voices for what for many women is this common trauma of of losing a child and I I, I think we need to see it in fiction and nonfiction and I you know right. I can't I can't speak for anyone else I can only speak for me but I can say that like I want I want to that's always been that's always been the thing that we've been taught I say that because she's Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, is you know I can't speak yeah. for anyone else. My yeah. my sister and I after the um, after the Orlando shooting, there was a vigil downtown, and this reporter we were standing on the outskirts, and they're like, "Oh, do you want to talk?" And I was like, "No, this is not it's not my place. I'm not. I can't identify with this. I'm here because I have a lot of friends in the LGBT community, and I'm upset, and I think changes need to be made. But yeah. you need to go talk to somebody else yes. because that's not like I will right. attend Black Lives Matter." activities all day long but i still think that i'm i'm not the person who needs to stand at the front of that i'm the person who needs to just say i agree with you i'm here for you what can i do for you Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of where i tried i came from with this book is i realized very quickly that i cannot speak for any indigenous voices and i only wanted it to be a stepping stone and inspiration to find out more about that and yeah. I think that's my... Well, and it's an acknowledgement that, yeah. that the world does not consist of just Jane and Joe. Yeah. <laughs> that right. they're, you know, and, and one of the things that Catherine had mentioned in her session is, and, and it is just appalling to think that, that this perception is out there that, you mean there are still Native Americans? <laughs> you know, they didn't use the word Native American, but, yeah. you know... That it is—it's just incredible that people don't realize that. You know, there was a, a time when it was certainly genocidal, but nope, there there are survivors, it's, and it's and like the names are still. You know? We got Miami College, we yes. Chillicothe, mm-hmm. but how many of us have lived here, and we don't think about where they came from? Sure. Don't think about where those things are named after, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that was one of the biggest things growing up is my parents were really good about that, you know, and trying to think about where it came from and think about what that meant. And um, there was a long time my grandmother um, told us that her grandmother was Cherokee, and I haven't been able to confirm that, so I don't identify or anything like that because that doesn't feel respectful to me. But at the same time, it, like, it's like I still I live in this area, and I feel like we have to acknowledge the people who are here before us, mm-hmm. and we have to... Mm-hmm you know acknowledge where they came from right and and land acknowledgement is is a is a big thing right now and i know i read it at the beginning of our wordbridge now sessions and you know there's a there are websites that you can look up to find out like who settled not not even settled who was here here, (laughs) before we Mm -hmm. came to settle Mm -hmm. on it but um another i keep referring back um let me know morgan um Catherine let us record that session and it was oh. just really phenomenal so mm-hmm. I will set you up with you should with, with, I would definitely that. listen to that yeah. um, which I will say you know I I skipping here acorn mush when I thought about it, like oh it must be this traditional food and and it is but she said it's something they all hate <laughs> she said it is <laughs> but she said it was um, like you know she's like but it's really really nutritious it does not taste good mm. but, but you gotta um, have it but you gotta have it so yes so, um, 
Well, thanks again for being a part of the podcast. Really interesting. You know, we've had now a, a two-part series, I think, in regards mm-hmm. to self-publishing. This really yes. gives another back end to it. Thank you so much. That was really an interesting dive into the business of it and and very important piece. So thanks. Thank Appreciate you for joining it. us. Yes. Thank you. For Welcome. Could I ask, uh, Morgan, what is your website again? It's www.buildingherstory.com. Excellent. Right, we'll, we'll have all and that in the podcast show notes. If you want to contribute notes, yeah. to our um, one in four anthology, please reach out. We're trying to get people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, right now, we don't have a lot of submissions, so we're pushing back our publication date. And we just want to make sure that it's great before it comes out. And we know that a lot of women have stories to tell. And we also have been other ones hopefully coming out about issues revolving around women, too. So keep Wonderful. That great. Good. Thank, well, thank you, you again. Thank you. 